Welcome into Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Friday night, as I am joined today by a very special guest, uh, one who I call one of my best friends, uh, one of my biggest mentors, and, and one of the brightest minds of the Denver Nuggets that you will ever find. It is the the leader, the head honcho over at DNVR, and, and captain of the DNVR bar, which is just popping yep. at this point. Oh, man, it I like is, that. I'm adding that to my, my list of titles, captain of the DNVR bar. I think it's fair. I think <laughs> I think watching watching you just go go through the crowd, film everything, high-five yeah. everybody <laughs> when those big moments happen, uh, it's Adam Morris, just in case everybody's uh, confused here. Uh, it is – it's probably one of – the greatest things to happen in the city of Denver with this with sports coming back was at this bar. Like it, it really is <laughs> one of the biggest stories surrounding yes, this man. Nuggets team. And and I just I again I want to congratulate you, the entire Thanks, DNVR crew about it. It has been unbelievable. I got to watch game three with you guys, and that was that was just such a fun game to watch with Hell Austin yeah, Rivers man. going off. But I plan on being oh. back game one or game two for, for Phoenix. And and we're gonna have a great time, man. Uh, tell tell everybody about like what has been your favorite moment so far man, at the DMVR bar. It's tough. Like that night you were there, the Austin Rivers game was really good. I was that a Saturday night too. I think. I think, I think so. Yeah, like weekends at there are even better. The playoff run, it's been pretty packed. Even like on you know game one's gonna be a Monday. It's gonna really test just how willing people are go are to go out to a bar and get crazy on a Monday night. But. Uh, um, the weekend ones are just so everybody. The vibe is great. And if the Nuggets win, so you know, Game Five and Game Six of the series were Denver. Those those were such emotional wins that it, it's just cool because, as you mentioned, it is like everybody coming out of the pandemic. Everybody's minds are like being reset, right? Like people are like, okay, I'm vaccinated, but it's weird being around people, <laughs> and like, right? To, and so there's this whole like you know, excitement and nervousness about being around people. But the thing that's cool about the DNVR bar is there are 200 people. That's all we basically can fit into that bar. 200 people that go there. And by the end, pretty much everyone's talked to everyone because every like, you know, something big will happen. Like everybody just starts high-fiving and, you know, like running around that at the end, you're just hugging everyone. So it's cool, man. It's a great atmosphere. And it just, it, it proves what has been my theory when I started doing this six years ago, uh, Ryan. And that is that, people like the Denver Nuggets. They like basketball in this town and people, you know, you always hear like, Oh, it's not a bad, never win over Nuggets fans or whatever. That's such BS, man. And I think the bar really proves that there's this very big appetite for um, just, just celebrating the Nuggets. And, and that's what the bar does as well as the Broncos, abs, Rockies, you know, everything else. It's to the point where you guys have to turn people away because of how popular this thing is and, and how many people um, want to be there and experience this moment together. And it, it's the abs, too, like you just mentioned, having two teams that are just uh, mm-hmm. congruently being unbelievably fun. It, it, it has to be just a very vindicating experience for you. And, and I I look forward to going back because it's, it's just a it, – it's what sports really are all about in that you get to share this moment with somebody else and just yeah, have a good time totally. and, and and relax after we've had such a really difficult pandemic that uh, people are people are starting to come out of their shell. And what better way to do it than with a beer in your hand and, and, and 
high-fiving somebody next to you that you don't even know. It's, <laughs> totally, it's been, man. It's been awesome. So I, I wanted to reminisce a little bit about this series victory with you before we uh, sort of transition into coverage for this next series, which is going to be its own hellscape, I, I have to imagine. But I want to start at, and just ask you, how rewarding was this series win for you and and just covering this Nuggets team and being able to uh, see the ups and downs and, and like all of the positive takes that we've had over the years about Nikola Jokic, Michael Porter, Monte Morris, that uh, even without the star of the bubble in Jamal Murray, that they were still able to pull this thing off. Man, I mean, it's it's funny because you get some of these prestige teams like the Lakers or the Spurs even who have had all this success. Like I, I it makes me wonder, do first round series ever get boring? Cause for me, Denver now has three first round series wins in this era. All of them have felt so good. They yeah. felt like, so <laughs> like such a weight off your shoulders. Cause you're like, just don't lose in the first round. Come on, get, give a go in. And so this one, you know, Denver is shorthanded. They would have had, I think plenty of excuses. And over time you would have been like, ah, whatever they lost this or that. But when they get it, you're just like, that's right, man. We're we're a premier team. We're the Nuggets are a final eight team. They're a top eight team, even without their second best player. They're still a top eight team. So uh, it felt great. Man. It felt really, really good. And I know there will be a point where this is no longer true in the second round. But it does feel at least like you're like okay, playing with house money. Whatever happens from here happens from here. Like I said, if Denver. You get one one in the first two games. All of a sudden, game three, you're like, we could do this. We better not lose. <laughs> so like, that pressure will come back at some point. But at least right now, you kind of feel like, oh, sweet. You know, if nothing else, this season was not a failure. I think I, I feel like this Nuggets team gets a lot of undue criticism, especially like in these playoff rounds where, where before the series, you have a lot of people that are that are being very vocal about how the Nuggets are not going to go forward, about how this is a fraudulent team. And and I, I had the take about Fraud City earlier tonight with, with the Clippers. The Clippers did ultimately end up winning. Oh, Kawhi was just, a, was just a monster in that game. But, hey, they can always lose game seven, right? I'm kind um, of rooting for him to win, actually. Because if you yeah. just look at – I think the toughest matchup for Denver left remaining, and all of them would be tough. There's no, like, easy matchup. But the toughest one to me is Utah. And I so agree. part of me and part of me is looking at this and I'm going, can Dallas beat Utah? I don't think they can, man. I don't think they can beat Utah. Can the Clippers? I wouldn't pick them. I'd actually pick Utah, I think, in that series. But you know what? They could. They might. And so I look at it from purely a nugget standpoint and think I'm not that afraid of the Clippers. I definitely agree. I definitely think like if, if you're if you're thinking forward, then Dallas is the the favorite matchup. Uh Utah is the least favorite matchup. The right. Clippers, like, like they've they've beat them Utah. before. They had Jamal Murray, but like, look, you, you get a puncher's chance, and you feel pretty good about that. Like, that's totally. that's all you can really ask for. But uh, I no, I, I'm right. fully with you there, and, and it's just really stood out to me that over the course of the the first round series that you're talking about, in that Denver won every single one of them, that the Nuggets have taken pot shots along the way. That there's there's been a lot of people that are, are waiting to take game, just waiting to direct their fire at Nikola Jokic. It was before it was at Jamal Murray. It's been Michael Porter Jr. this time around. For whatever reason, they just feel like the team that's drawn a lot of ire. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I feel like that maybe that's just like being close to the team. You kind of see more of, of, of that kind of stuff. Maybe, but maybe true. Yeah. Like there's, it's really just, here's, here's a take I have. There's like some waters I'd maybe don't want to wade into on this topic, but one of them where I will is that I do feel like this is the year where the, the European wave has been happening for a decade now. Like it's the, but this is the year where you look at it, Giannis, Luca, Jokic, Embiid, 
Gobert, like almost every team left standing has a prominent Europe foreign born player um, right. as their star or centerpiece. And I just, it, it, I think that a lot of people, analysts, fans, everything are sort of still adjusting to the fact that the f- new faces of the NBA, not all, in fact, maybe not even half, but a good amount of uh, like a strong percentage of them are foreign. And I mean that literally foreign born, but also just foreign to like, they don't fit the typical mold. Jokic is not like any other star, you know, in a lot of ways, like everybody, when Michael Jordan came, we've spent the last 25 years being like, that's the formula. You have to be like Mike. And that's what greatness means. Like there's a lot of different forms of it. And a lot of them right now are European. And I think people are like, what? I've never seen a Jokic succeed before or a Giannis succeed before. This is, they don't know what to make of it. I love the concept of growing the game and being able to understand the game in new and important ways as as these players continue to completely change the dynamics of it. And I think yeah. Jokic is, is the leading example of that, that it's forcing people to think about the game in a drastically different way and how dominance can be personified. And and Yo- Luca's like that. Giannis was like that too. But like he he's been compared to Shaq in a lot of ways. But he's different from Shaq. He's like he's yeah. just like everybody. It, it's it's a unique take on all of these different players. And so I, I I love that about this current playoff group. And if we don't have the Lakers, the Clippers, uh, Boston, or whoever yeah. you want to talk about from the East, then. I think people are going to be okay with that, and it's going to take a little bit from the, the the ratings crowd. But like, I think I think most everybody is going to be better off for yeah. this playoff run. Uh, zeroing in on Game Six, uh, just twenty four hours after the fact, is there a specific moment, possession, sequence that still stands out to you as like, hey, that was the defining moment of this series? Man, the defining moment, at least of that game. You know, Jokic's three over Nurkic really sticks out. And part of this is because the way he just kind of casually steps into it. And then when he goes back, he kind of has this look on his face of like to the extent that Jokic can have a look on his face because usually yes, it's just true. like a, like a you know emotionless. You know, <laughs> it's it's the mouth wide open, breathing, yeah. uh, just trying but to he, catch some air. He had a little bit of a look in his face of like you know I'm not doing this. And I thought honestly we could go back even further because I don't remember. I'd have to go back and watch the tape, but there was a bucket he made early in the second half where I was mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, Jokic has the turbo button pressed down right now. And it was the like first minute or two of the second half. And I was like, you know, he kind of coasted through the first half. And, and I was like, oh, man, what are we – is Jokic tired? What are we getting? The, mm-hmm. Right from the start of the third quarter, they didn't actually pull away or catch up or anything because th- there was a little bit of back and forth. But I thought Jokic was sort of setting the tone early of like, you guys are going to have to deal with me for a really, really big second half. And if you can beat me, then we'll go to game seven. But I just thought he had a look in his eye. So it was early, whatever his first bucket was. But then it was that three-pointer that to me was like, yeah, yeah, he's good. He's doing this. That's the one that that I really circle. And uh, there there was a moment that I, I tried to highlight earlier tonight that I wasn't – I'm not 100% certain that this happened. But there was a clip of him coming off the bench – about to check into the game, and and he was pointing at something. I'm not it, sure. It was, who I don't it think was, it was but... Nurkic, man. I'm pretty sure it was not. I mean, uh, look, he knew Nurk was going to check in whenever he checked in, but I don't know, man. I, I what I'll say about this is, and there's no way for us to know. But you know, you watch a player long enough, you kind of pick up their rhythms, their body rhythms, their energy sure. rhythms, whatever. And I'm telling you, Jokic in that second half was like he just knew. Like, look, we're not losing this one. Just trust me, we're not losing this one. Um, and he just had an energy about him in that second half that you knew he was going to give an A-plus second half. 
what is the better story for the Nuggets in that first half is or that first series? Is it Austin Rivers becoming a starting caliber guard in the playoffs, or is it Monte Morris pulling a Jamal Murray and helping Jokic put the games away? I think it's Austin Rivers is the better story. Um, I don't yeah. know which one is more impactful. Like you don't win without either of those guys doing what they did in the moments that they did them. Um, but I think if you just talk about storyline, Austin Rivers has been one of the best stories in the NBA this entire season. And the fact that it's funny, man, because he had that big game. Was it game three where he hit all yeah. the three? It was. Yeah. It, he had that moment, but I think he also brings, when I asked George Carl what, what the nuggets were going to miss the most about Jamal Murray, he said they're his courage. And I'm telling you, man, he's right. Like, Jamal Murray, it's not a it's not a coincidence that he the league told him to settle down on the sidelines after game one. Like <laughs> Jamal Murray can't help but get up for like competition. Like the more the stakes are raised, the more he's into it. I'm sure it was killing him being on the sideline, just like because he was feeling it. He just had nothing he could do about it. And you need guys like that. And I think I think Austin Rivers, he salvages a little piece of that. You know, obviously not the talent Murray is, but he salvages a little bit of that. Oh, like the stakes are elevated, like let's elevate them even more. I want this. And so uh, he, he clearly like wants that. it. And and, and that's yeah. that I, I do agree with you that that's probably like that's the bigger story, the better story. And uh, Monte Monte was awesome. And, and I I've just loved what I saw from him in those last two games. But uh, Austin Rivers coming cold off the couch and and just turning himself into a starting caliber guard. When nobody else wanted him, nobody else thought he could be helpful. Nobody else was willing to take a chance on him. Uh, somebody who was clearly talented, but there was a at least a big question mark in their eyes about about the type of person that he was. That like listening to Austin Rivers speak about that and and just how he has grown from that moment and and want, just been willing to do whatever it takes. Uh, you guys were you and Matt were right when you said, "Hey, his defense was extremely impactful, even when he let, uh, even when he had Damian Lillard drop fifty five on him." Like Lillard was really, exhausted, man. I know it sounds silly to say, but dropping fifty five the way that he had to do it took a lot out of him. I really think 100%. that took a lot out of him. And I know some of the people, you know, just even from talking to some people with the team, they kind of believe that. Like watching that game up close, they're like, "Man, I don't know if Lillard has another one of those in him." Like I think he left, he emptied the chamber in Game Five, and it turns out they were right. No, it's a hundred percent true. Uh, which nugget do you think you learned the most about in the first round? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, you know, a lot of these guys, I don't feel like we actually learned anything definitive. Like with Michael Porter, I'd say we learned he's, you know, a, a player in training. Like he's not com sure. a complete player. He's on he's on the upswing. Uh, with Aaron Gordon, we learned that he can be impactful. But do we learn the extent of which? No, I think he has more to offer still, and he's still figuring that out. Faku, did we learn he can't guard Damian Lillard in the show? Like, I don't think so. I mean, he has a bad series, a bad matchup, but I don't think we learned one way or another about what he is or isn't as in terms of a playoff player. I mean, it's weird to say, but it, it really might just be Austin Rivers that we learned the most of. Cause I was like, <laughs> I don't know if he's a playoff player. You know, I don't know if he's a fit. And I'm like, yeah, that's a, that's a foxhole guy. Like that's a guy that you, you're not counting on him to do things he can't do. But if you kick out to him for an open three in the fourth quarter with one minute left, like, you know what? I feel good about it. Don't know if he's hitting it, but he's got as good a chance as just about anybody else. Played 40 minutes in that game six. I think he played about yep. 47, 48 in the game five. Yep. That's, that's just just big time effort minutes from somebody yep. like that who uh, it, it's you can't say enough about him. I, I would also throw Monte into that conversation as well because 
I, I didn't know whether he was about like I mean I, yeah. I thought he was about it, but he proved that he was about it. He went another another layer up of my trust. Like yeah, like I definitely trusted Monte, but I trusted him to do what Monte does. But he stepped up and was clutching this one, and also like maybe a guy you can run pick and rolls with. Even when Jamal Murray comes back, you know I don't know how much those two are going to play together. You know in a, in the clutch situation, maybe they do. Who knows? But you know he definitely is a guy that I would be like, why not? stick him out there in a tie game. If he has it going, why, why not roll with him as your second guard alongside Murray right. if this matchup allows for it? A take that I shared on, on last night's podcast with Jenna was that I thought, hey, it is very possible that Monte Morris and Jamal Murray is the starting backcourt when when Jamal ultimately comes back just because, yeah. hey, you've got, you've got money constraints. You've got a lot of things to think about. Uh, Monte is going to be the guy who's around for sure. Uh, I, I trust him. And and I yeah. think Michael Malone and the rest of the Nuggets franchise does too. Totally, you totally do. And he does the things that you need to do alongside him. I, I wouldn't even mind taking the ball. We'll talk about this later, but I wouldn't even mind taking the ball out of Murray's hands a little bit more as a, like a pre- preliminary trigger in the offense. He's still going to be extremely prominent, but I wouldn't mind having Monte sort of be the point guard and Jamal the the off guard who ends up finishing the play and pick and roll and whatever, but not starting the play and pick and roll. Hundred percent. No, I, I I think there is a definite merit to that. Uh, can we ever put a ceiling on this group ever again with the way that Nikola Jokic <laughs> is playing? Man, it's so funny because, like, if you go back to last year's series, you know, Jamal Murray was so spectacular. And I think you could easily make the case he was the best nugget in the Utah series. In fact, that might actually be what it was. Jokic does so many things that, like, even in a great series like that, you can discount sort of what he brings to the table. But that's that's one of the things that you, uh, this series kind of showed me is it's like, so much of what Jokic does from a scoring perspective is on based on need. And like yeah. the Nuggets weren't struggling to score against Utah. They were struggling to get stops, but they weren't struggling to score against Utah. They weren't struggling to score against the Clippers. So why would he go for 35, 36 points? But in this one, they were struggling to score. I mean, they weren't, they scored very well, but that because of him. And it's like, yeah, if, you, if you're going to guard me this specific way, or if we don't have a lot of options to run pick and rolls this type of way, I'm just going to have to go score a bunch of buckets. And this, this, series what's interesting is the nuggets played him as like a slasher a lot man like there were so many times he's catching the ball on the move and there's no center in the nba that does that i know everybody tries to compare his versatility to like bam out of bio or you know uh, sabonis or whatever those guys are good but like nobody is catching the ball on the move as a guard and like making dribble moves he's just there's no limit to what he can do on offense literally every skill that there is on the offensive end of the court he has that skill it's it's Funny you say that because I, I I had somebody bring up to me that look he's averaging twenty six eleven six point five in the playoffs for his career uh, he's creeping into the top ten in postseason points per game so all crazy. time which which is just like of all the things that you ever thought about Nikola Jokic that is that is probably not something that even even the wildest supporters would ever think okay yeah this dude he's just going to turn into a a top 10 all-time scorer when when the going gets as tough as it does and 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 he his might, tough he shot he might be man it honestly he is might. true like it, it's in such a different way like we just what we picture a scorer being is so different but he might be that just based on flip shots and floaters and, and, <laughs> and, and, and he's got all the other stuff too but just he racks up so many points that way and yeah we mentioned the uh 
like the list that you tweeted out earlier was of the all-time scores or whatever. It's like Wilt is on there. You know, Michael Jordan's obviously number one. Yeah. It's not, some of the list is never going to change. You know, like Wilt, Wilt and Michael Jordan are always going to be up there. But it, it's wild when you think about how long the NBA has been around, how many guys have been in the playoffs. Allen Iverson, Kevin Durant, um, Elgin right. Baylor, George Kervin. You know, it's funny, man. <laughs> there he is. Man, it's just I, I, I think we are reaching a new level with with how to respect Jokic. Uh we've already been there. Don't get me wrong. But like the the, the rest of the world is about to catch up and I, I really want to I talk moved about the goal that. Test. I, I moved the goalpost. We'll talk about it later, but I moved yeah. it the other day. People didn't like it as they didn't oh. like it when I said he was gonna be an all-star, <laughs> you know, three, four years ago, whatever it was. We're we're gonna talk about that next here on Pickaxe and Roll. Before we go, I want to tell you about DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top rated sportsbook app and my favorite sportsbook. It's so easy to navigate. There's plenty of instructions for new bettors. So if you're just getting into this thing, I definitely recommend DraftKings. They do a great job. They take care of their new customers. And here's one way that they do it. They're putting you courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in site credits. All you have to do, pick any basketball team that is still in contention, bet $1 on them. And if that team wins, you win $100 in site credits. It's that simple. Don't forget... They offer great odds on promotions such as baseball, hockey, so many other sports, golf, gotta love it. All you have to do, download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now, and make sure to use promo code MHS when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in site credits. Bet on your basketball team, and if they win, if you bet on the Nuggets in Game 1, if they win, you'll get $100 in free site credits. That's promo code MHS for a limited time. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Wager paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. so much for tuning in joined today of course by good friend adam mares he does excellent work at dnvr uh you if you if you know me you, it's probably because you know adam let's be honest so it's all good uh everybody no i mean hey that's that's just how age works and man you, you ryan you're doing you've said this a few times and i gotta tell you man you you have established yourself in your voice in this nuggets community and this nuggets beat so you you feel a much needed niche in here that is very different from what i do but but equally as necessary so um there's no hierarchy you know that's the that's yeah. one of the things that's cool about you know sports and, and how it gets covered is it's not a hierarchy like the top guy this guy's like well we all it's an ecosystem and you know we, we all occupy different parts of it a hundred percent and thank you for the kind words it's been <laughs> it's been a a very unique transition given the COVID years that that I turned into as site manager for for Denver Stiffs but I've been I've been very happy to uh hold down the mantle of of what of what you've done um I want to talk about legacy building speaking of which uh for this Nuggets franchise and we, we talked about Jokic uh knocking out Carmelo Anthony Yusuf Nurkic in the first round uh there is some some past qualms that I think we could we could mention here 
uh, this revenge over the Trailblazers after two years ago. Hell yeah. Do you think that, do you think that there's any sort of pressure release on, on some of that sports hate towards Melo, Nurkic, guys, guys like the Blazers now that the Nuggets have beat them, or is that just going to always be there? For Nurkic, no, because he actually does have an, a sin against Denver, like a, a major sin. And so, yeah. look, there's you saw Nurkic's comments after the game. Who knows? Maybe he gets traded to Orlando or I don't know. And it's like, okay, we well, just stop thinking about him because what does it matter, <laughs> that, you know? That would diffuse the situation real quick. <laughs> I mean, imagine if he went to the Lakers or something like that, you know? Oh, like God. You would hate him just as much, if not more. So um, with him, the, the sports hate, not the personal hate. I don't care about the guy personally. Like, what I don't mm-hmm. know this but the sports hate like there's reason for it and as long as he is a threat to denver in any sort of way it's there with mellow i've explained this to a lot of people man like there's very few people that really hate mellow or really even think about mellow like how many times did you think about or talk about carmelo anthony prior to two weeks ago uh very little very, That's very what little. I mean, and people think that they're like Denver's over here just stewing, like oh, Carmelo, <laughs> have, he's left us have, ten years ago. Like, dude, nobody we have cares better things to do. It. Like, yeah. like honestly, like and it's it's been like that, and and I think this this first round is a really great uh, personification of that. That right. the Nuggets have moved on, like the Nuggets franchise has moved on from those two players and from the Portland Trailblazers, and the Portland Trailblazers just fired their coach. They may be trading their best player, and they may be undergoing a significant makeover that is is just a completely drastic shift from the team that beat the Denver Nuggets a couple of years ago. But but say that, Carmelo Anthony goes to like I don't know the I'm trying the Dallas Mavericks next year, and then the Nuggets match up with the Mavericks. Like you'll those feelings will come back of like no, we can't lose this one, guys. Like we can't lose to Melo. <laughs> not you know not that you have anything against Dallas, but you're like we're never losing to Melo. And I think that's what it is more than anything. The best revenge yeah. is living well, and that's what it is. Like we want to keep living well. We want to keep. We want to make sure that it, it just would be such a great story. I'm so bummed he won game one in Denver because the the ten year streak was such a cool thing to have. You know, it just felt like this like cool karma, you know, cosmic karma or something. But that that's all it is. Nobody thinks about Melo or talks about him. And when they do, it's like, man, I love the Mellow years. They're like, oh, Mellow's my favorite Nugget, whatever it is. And that's how Nuggets fans feel. It's not a hatred. It's just booing him. Like, come on, guys. They just that that's all it is, is Nuggets fans don't want to see him succeed against the Nuggets. But I put this, I put the picture out today of Mello and Jokic, you know, hugging after the game and another picture of them sort of lined up together. And you, I think it's impossible for a Nuggets fan to look at that one and not feel a little bit of chills. Just a little bit of like, man, that's cool. Two faces of the franchise separated by one era and you know it's just it's all love man i'm telling you it's all love it's 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 very true and and as somebody who was kind of late to the party just i mean i'm, I'm 24 years old so like i yeah. i didn't get to experience those mellow years as as fully and as as passionately as so many others but uh he was a guy who like at my my induction into nuggets fandom was basically the melodrama and so mm-hmm. that was all right. I ever yeah. really knew about him. So weird to and, think because I don't think of you as that much younger than me. But yeah, you you arriving on the scene at the <laughs> yeah at the melodrama is really funny. I I was uh I was 15 years old at that point. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah uh ah, 14 14. So that's that's like right prime time years. So just yeah. it's crazy, man. Uh, but so back to the Nuggets franchise, like this this team. They were four points away from making the Western Conference Finals in 2019. They make it in 2020. If they were to make it in 2021, like, what does that say? Just kind of how this franchise has completely shifted around. Like, like it's it's just a, a drastic shift from where they have been for such a long time. You have to tip your hat, in my opinion, to Josh Kroenke. 
you have to t- for sort of creating a you know, a lot of times when somebody takes over and, and puts their fingerprints on an organization, whether that's a hands-off approach or whatever, like it's very loud. How are they going to handle this? They're going to be all over the place. We think about Vivek when he first took over, like it was a Ugh. disaster for several oh, years because yeah. it was like his fingerprints were everywhere. He's <laughs> video of him in there telling them to draft Stauskas and like, who's going to tell the boss? No, like all that stuff. I think Josh Kroenke, you know, there's certain things he's done that, you know, maybe you could look at and question the Comcast thing, obviously with the Cronkies is really frustrating, but I think when you look at how they've said, no, we're going to take a hands off approach, you know, he, he, they do have meetings. He's a basketball mind, but he's not out there telling them what to do. Tim Conley trying to get this family identity of, Hey man, we're not here to like swing for the fences every single year and shape. No, like we have a process, we have a, a identity we're going to stick to and and wait for it to grow and then michael malone of course so i just look at all that and i'm like man such a healthy culture it's unique too in sports people always say how did michael porter fall and i tell them every time it's the exact same thing he will fall and the next one will fall to the nuggets and the next one will fall to the nuggets and the reason is because no other organization is structurally set up to be able to take swings that take three years to pay off or more and Tim and Tim Conley, I think, is just has that mentality. But the Nuggets have given him that mentality of like, yeah, man, do whatever it takes to win. Don't just try to save your job three months at a time. It's crazy how many pitfalls that they could have fallen into over the course of this time, and and like how nearly the Brian Shaw era was the biggest pitfall of them all, where it could have fallen apart for Tim Connolly right there. But yeah. drafting Nikola Jokic, drafting Jamal Murray. Uh, drafting uh, Vlako Chanchar. I, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> drafting like all of these guys and bringing in the talent and surrounding yourself with people that are pointed in the same direction all the time. I yeah. think I think that goes a long way, and it's it's one of the reasons why the we don't skips mentality has been so prevalent for them all this time. Is that they everybody is of the same uh, uh, wavelength. Right. Uh, they're they're of the same mind frame that this team. Like without going the same direction, they'll never be able to go where they need to, and and I think the the evidence speaks for itself right now. Just without not, Jamal Murray, and not even just the evidence of the Nuggets, but I, I don't think it's a coincidence that the Nuggets and the Abs have had similar blueprints starting at the exact same time, and both are following almost identical trajectories. You know, the, the Abs have been a slow right. build through the draft sort of build as well. Young talent, you know, continuity, all of those different things, and and again, hands off. Like you have you have people that that are powerful and smart, you know, Sakic, very powerful, smart, Bednar, great coach, but there's not a lot of pressure on them from like, Hey, we got to do this. We got to do this. Like, what does you guys want? This is your team. Your fingerprints are on this. Okay. We'll evaluate it in the macro sense. One, two years at a time, not three months, four months, six months, whatever, which gets you in trouble. Obviously. I, I think the biggest culture setter in that regard is Michael Malone. Uh, he, I think that has really shifted the perspective of Michael Malone and and my perspective of Michael Malone has really shifted ever since the playoffs runs began. Like whether when it was in 2018-19, then in the bubble, and now. Like I think that my personal pr- perspective of him has completely shifted as a as a leader, as a uh, X's and O's guy, and as somebody who's willing and able to get the best out of his guys because again they're all pointed in the same direction. Yeah, I think no, no question about it. It's cool, man. It, it's really cool when you break it down and you're like, how much credit goes here or there or whatever. And you're, the, the right answer is they all get it, man. And I've honestly, what's cool about it is I've learned a lot from watching these guys. 
Like, you know, you, you worked for me at a time before, although I think it was, I was more relaxed there than I was at DNVR, but like my leadership style is not perfect by any means, but there's things you watch this and you kind of go like, in what areas do I freak out at the small stuff and not, and, and rather than like, like I'm, I'm yelling at people to do this or that, or am I not actually like encouraging them to do it or, or empowering them to do it? I watched Marcus Howard go into a playoff series deer in the headlights. Nope. He was ready for it. And I'm sure it's because he knew that the team had his back and the coach had his back. And I think like, who's the Marcus Howard in my life? Did they, if I had to put them into game three of a playoff series and tell them, Hey, don't blow this. Like would, would, would they know I had their back in this? There's lessons to be learned from those things. And I, and you know, it's a, it's a funny thing to say, but if you, when you think about sports as much as we do, you know, you learn little life lessons along the way, like, like that. Couple fun Michael Malone stats. He is the only Nuggets coach with a plus 500 record in the playoffs right now, uh, 20 and 19. Uh, and he is four playoff wins away from tying Doug Moe as the Nuggets coaching playoff wins leader. Uh, no way. Four? Yeah. It, four Doug wins Moe, away. Doug Moe won 24 playoff games, and Michael Malone. Is at twenty. That is, dude. That is an incredible stat. Yeah, that is an it's incredible, absolutely incredible statistic. It's it's a it was a good pull. I I I'll, I'll take credit for that one. But it like it just shows like it just takes a consistent amount of success, and yeah. and Nuggets fans will buy in. They yeah. they want just somebody that they feel like that they feel like they have a puncher's chance with, and and they'd have you more have than that, that of man. course. Like right yeah. now, and and like but. Michael Mullen has really helped lay the groundwork for, like for yeah. this. And I, I think he, he genuinely does have a chance to go down as the greatest Nuggets coach of all time. Uh, if they, if they ever win a championship, if they ever, like, even if he's just around for another 10 years or five, 10 years and like he's just putting them in the same direction. Like, I, I think having stepped back from it for a little bit and, and instead of just going into the minutiae of the, the rotation decisions and, and, uh, right. like, his development of Michael Porter Jr. in particular, like I, that was that was at the point where okay, I trust you, coach. I trust you. It's fine. Here's the, here's the funny thing about Michael Porter. So we think so much about like development in terms of can he, you know, is he confident to take these shots and do this, and can he is he posting up or whatever it is. Like just you think of it in raw skills. But here's the thing where he developed that's probably more important than any of this other stuff. Him saying, "Coach, stick with Michael Green," like. It takes superstars decades to learn that. Like literally so many players will come in and be stars and they'll have this fatal flaw that they don't see for 10 years until they're like, oh, it's takes sacrifice to do this. Like the fact that he's got him already doing that and, and I don't take anything from Michael Porter. He's the one that had to like, uh, you know, learn these lessons and do this or that. But the fact that Michael Porter is, in my opinion, pretty seamlessly fit into the culture of the Denver Nuggets is no small miracle. That's a huge miracle for a guy that has had to go the toughest way. And that's real development. All that the stuff with Michael Porter's game, I believe this. He still there's a lot of little blocks I keep calling him in front of him. Like, you know, his footwork and his strength and his hand strength and this to that. But like those are small obstacles that once you clear those out of the way, he's a Ferrari. Like he's gonna speed through. (laughs) It's almost like a you know, uh, an exponential curve where like, yeah, it's a little slower than people would like right now, but that's because you have to clear the debris. Once the debris is cleared full speed ahead, man. I love it. And, and there, there isn't a better player development staff 
there isn't a better coaching staff than than what the Nuggets have right now and what they've what they've proven consistently that with with Jokic with Murray uh, Aaron Gordon shooting sixty percent in the first round like like I there there's just a lot that I think you can point to and say hey this this coaching staff is, has really pointed everybody in the right direction and they're going to be one of the biggest reasons of of why this team is the way that they are uh, Nikola Jokic uh, first of all. Completely underrated playoff killer that that we've we've been talking about for a while, but uh, the stat that I shared at the beginning, like it's it's just nuts. Uh, the fact that he's doing this without Jamal Murray is incredible, and I think it is a reflection of the caliber of player that he is, and people are just starting to see that. So here's the thing that's funny about this because this was a six three matchup, right? And so everybody looked at that when it came playoff time and was like, "Well, Denver should win this one." I don't remember going into the series. Was Denver favored? They were right. They were like a plus. It was or minus one forty. It was even money. I think. I oh, think that was money. the okay. thing. It was. It was just basically about even. That's probably what it should have been, to be honest, in my opinion, just from like a talent standpoint. But here's the thing: the only reason it was six three. Because I believe when Jamal Murray went down, it was like they were 5-4 and within a game of each other. The mm-hmm. only reason it was 6-3 is because after Jamal Murray went down, after Will Barton went down, after P.J. Dozier went down, the Nuggets kept winning. And not only kept winning, but actually caught up, like separated themselves a little bit from it. So if you paused the everything when Jamal Murray went down against the Warriors, there's I don't remember, 15 games left in the season. And you ask people like, who's Denver going to beat now? Before they play a single game, nobody would have said they would beat the Portland. They would have said every, in fact, people were saying it. Denver's out in the first round. Doesn't matter who they play. They're out in the first round. That yep. didn't happen. And the only reason it was less shocking is because Denver did so well in the regular season to close it out. It, there is something to be said for that. And and, and we we saw what he did in order to change his game in order to just mold what he needed to do on the fly what, on the fly like like and you were on zero, this like like zero from the beginning. games there was yeah, a zero like, lag between like we're a different team now it's just like hey we're completely different um yeah we'll just fit seamlessly <laughs> now into whatever it is we are now oh we need me to just now start isoing at the top of the key fine Done. like that's that's <laughs> that's just how we're going to have to do it because uh, there's there's no pick and roll at that point without Monte and and Jamal and all those guys and like the fact that they were able to make that work and like he he started a game with JaVale McGee <laughs> right <laughs> like what are we talking about here he's, everything he's just works like, with Jokic and it every, works so quickly like as long as you have players that are willing to not screw it up and like play within their roles. And Denver has created a culture where it seems everybody's willing to do that. As long as you have that buy-in, like Jokic will fit to you. It, it's it truly is. It's like a musician that can play every style of music, and they're a great jazz guitarist. But you put him out there with a heavy metal group, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I can play that too. Like seamlessly, just on the fly, we're gonna trade to heavy metal now, and that's how Jokic is as a basketball player. That that's that's a great analogy because now now I have the image of him like like playing the violin, uh, but but just then turning it into a hard rock violin. There you go. That's that's great. That's him. Uh, how do deniers still exist after what he just did? I mean, they don't. I, here's the thing. I think that we're almost at a point where the anti Jokic bias is a straw man. Like, mm-hmm. if your goal is to have the Nick Wrights of the world. Get, get on your level it's just dude you're never it's never gonna happen man lebron james right. might be the greatest player we've ever seen and there's still guys that make a career out of saying he's not even top 10 or a fraud or whatever yeah. like you know like 
if LeBron James can't do it and, you know, Steph Curry still has people that think that somehow he's actually not valuable and who was the third best player on those teams, like if you still have those guys, what hope does Jokic have? You you think a championship is going to change that or two or three or four? LeBron has four and we still have people that are like, I don't know. Is he clutch? I don't know. Like, so <laughs> do you have to, I think we're at the point now where they're, there's no more it's undeniable except for people that will never accept it so th- that's just where we're at i think i actually think if you really take the temperature of, of like most analysts most people think jokic is incredible and here's the take i like most right now bomani jones is like my favorite i feel like he's group- he, shout out bomani because he he has been a a the lord savior in terms of like spreading the love from espn uh for nikola jokic but i like people that are like willing to be honest about their own sort of feelings and, and, and thoughts. And I feel yeah. like he, that's what, why he never gets into trouble is because it's like, sometimes he's wrong, but he's never being dishonest. He's never being a shtick or like, I'm taking the side. And one of the things he says that I love is he's, he says, and he had this today, I retweeted it, but he's been on mm-hmm. and on his show for a while. Is why don't people like Jokic? There's something going on. And he's, I hope he's going to get to it because he's the best in the world to probably address this point. But he's saying, He's not a boring player. Like people want to say, well, Tim Duncan wasn't popular either. He's not Tim Duncan. He's actually really freaking fun. He's actually Larry Bird. And I always think, why did Larry Bird work in the 80s where everyone's like one of the most fun players ever and, and exciting and, and we, we said we wanted to celebrate. Why do people not want to celebrate Jokic? And I think that we're getting to a watershed moment with that because while I think people have kind of accepted that this dude's a badass, people are still accepting that it's like fun to – it's fun that this guy exists, that we're actually lucky. as If you love the game of basketball, we are lucky that Nikola Jokic exists because we never – even thought of this form before we never thought of this style of player and that's the next phase and i think we're close to it to be honest with you i i agree with you uh i had a conversation that's kind of broaching that topic with matt uh about about a month six weeks ago kind of when the mvp stuff was wrapping up and it was becoming undeniable that he was the guy and and it really just stood out to me that th- there are going to be those certain segments of people that are never going to believe in him that are never going yeah. to give him his due and and i actually learned this from you that like look you're you're never going to please everybody and so you just kind of have to like go forward like you can't you can't dwell on the people that don't like you you can't dwell on the people that that don't appreciate that and Jokic is a guy who if if you have a trouble appreciating his game then i think it more reflects you than it does anybody else because of the versatility that he provides. He changes his game, molds his game to whatever is needed. It's just a winner, a dynamic player, a skilled player. And, and like we, we've, like you said, we've never seen anything like him. And if he advances to the Western Conference finals again this year, like I just, I, there, there's just no, there are no arguments anymore. Like right. he, he's a winner who proved that. He could he could face down a top offense led by spread pick and roll and just outscore them because he's that good. Yeah, no, I I think most people are there, man. The, like I said, the next wave, and we're close to getting it. Is that he's also really fun, and I I'm so curious. Like I don't want to take anything away from Jamal Murray last year, 
But I do feel like what Jokic provides allows lends itself to Jamal Murray going off mm -hmm. and be like, you know, mm -hmm. that style is fun. Like you can imagine Damian Lillard with Jokic would probably have 50 point nights a lot because it's just like, <laughs> hey, man, like the, the defense is so compromised just by Jokic's skill set to begin with. While just walking up the court, the defense is compromised. So you yeah. put some good guards, some really talented guards around you and they get hot. Man, you're going to have some really great. I, when Jamal Murray comes back, we're going to get more of these performances, hopefully in the playoffs. It'd be great. There are going to be people that uh, crown Nikola Jokic the best player in the NBA uh, after what LeBron did in the first round. Uh, after potentially, if 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 Giannis were to oust the Brooklyn Nets, then I don't think anybody can say Kevin Durant is the best player in the NBA because that's kind of Ooh, the that's a great point the the direction that a lot of people want to go. Uh, so you, you might be having a conversation about Giannis versus Jokic, and and I I love that conversation because at least it's fresh, at least it's new, <laughs> at least we could talk about two of the greatest young stars that we have seen in a long time, and and it's just going to be a lot of fun to see uh, those two compete for and and Luca compete for the best player because it's going yeah. Euro, it's going international, and and I think that's going to be great for the game. Can I tell you something? I, this is a long ways away, so I'm just planning it here so people say, I remember you said this on Ryan's podcast one time. <laughs> I think I think phase two of the Jokic in Denver era features Giannis. Okay. That's a long ways away. Three, four okay. years away. Three, you know, but it's a ways away. But I think, you know, there'll be multiple eras, I hope, of the Jokic time in Denver. And I think the next one, after this one has run its course, hopefully with a couple of championships, whatever that is, I think the next one features Giannis. I love that take. I can, I actually can very much picture it in mind's eye. And it's and a perfect I think fit, actually. It, it, it's actually it really is just fit. a perfect, unbelievable, fun fit. And, and like, look, if you, if you want fun, dominant skill ball that can, that can also have just that, that physical punch that people are looking for, that's, that's just a, a dream pairing for sure, but hopefully it includes Jamal Murray coming back healthy. Hopefully it includes uh, Michael Porter developing. He may not be around for that. It wouldn't. It wouldn't. It wouldn't definitely not feature both of those guys. Might not feature yeah. either. I don't. I don't know. Teams yeah. rarely stay like Denver is five years together with Murray and Jokic. That's really long time. It's it's yeah, a long and, time. And and I think they have you know obviously at least one year. I would say at least two years. Maybe three years together more. Like I think the odds are probably in their favor that it would be at least three more years. After that, you start to look at it and say, you know, who knows? Like who knows? Like eight years together is really rare. Maybe they have a Parker and Duncan type type run, but there's much more examples of like one guy sticks around with a team while the other people, you know, you go through two or three eras over the course of 15 years. And should that happen, I just I could see a Giannis Jokic core. <laughs> I'm just I'm just twenty twenty five. For six straight titles and eight straight <laughs> titles, and we're just we're just gonna have hey a lot man, of fun. With it's that. true. Like that Bulls team was Scotty and Mike, right? And you think mm -hmm. about the first one, completely the the entire rest of the cast was different in the first three from the second three. It just Scotty and Mike were the same, so that was the constant. Sometimes that's all you need. Um, okay, hey, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to just do initial thoughts on the Phoenix Suns because I I don't want to get too far into it. Because I can't believe just... you didn't ask me about my hottest take I've ever shared on Twitter. Oh. Okay, well, hey, let's let's get into it. Come on. It's the so it was last night, and it was actually Brady Hull's take that I just sort of adopted from. You were talking about legacy, and I said this, and people think I'm crazy, 
But people have thought I'm crazy. You know this, Ryan. People have been calling me crazy. They've barely been calling us crazy, but you know, <laughs> calling, calling me crazy for my Jokic takes for years. And nobody, you never get the credit. When you arrive here, no one's like, Adam, I was wrong. You were right. He is the MVP and you, you saw this coming. But here's my next take. It's going to be hard because Elway made it to five Super Bowls and he won two of them and he had, you know, but are we certain that Jokic can't be that for Denver? Are we, and people always say like the cultural footprint that, that Elway had. Okay. I'm not talking about that. Like who knows what it's going to take. It's weird to say that for the Nuggets to have the cultural impact that the eighties Broncos had one, they'd have to be (laughs) on TV. It'd be very (laughs) difficult, but you know what? You never know. Like you win a couple championships and everybody jumps on whatever is fun, right? Nobody, nobody wants to be left out of the fun. So you get there, who knows? Maybe this does become a Nuggets town, but I, if you just talk about, the like the greatest at their respective sports. John always one of the greatest point guards to ever play the game. I think Jokic will be one of the greatest centers or <laughs> quarterbacks, quarterbacks, sorry, <laughs> quarterbacks to ever play the game. I think Jokic will be one of the best centers to ever play the game. And I think he might be a little bit higher on that list when it's all said and done, or at least he has a chance to be higher on that list than most people think. And it, you know, it's going to take championship. I'm not saying he is there. I'm just saying, are we sure that's not his ceiling? We, if, if you told me his ceiling was MVP, You'd be like, oh, so this is it? This is the best we get of Jokic? He's not going to get any better from right here? Like, come on, man, no way. <laughs> and the team isn't going to get better. They're not going to be better at building around him, guys. Like, no way, man. So are we sure that he can't go from where he is now to somewhere better? And if he does, are we talking about him as a Tim Duncan caliber player? And is Tim Duncan a greater basketball player than John Elway was a football player? It's at least a conversation, man. It's at least Ooh. a conversation. Oh, that's a good one. That That is a... It's it's football is such an interesting sport to make direct comparisons to, but with totally. quarterbacks you certainly can because it really is yeah. more about the individual at that point. Uh, I'm Tim Duncan's you. one of the like, twelve best players. If you're being if you're being extremely yeah. like you know Lax. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I I love that take and Elway playing sixteen years for one franchise and and being being able to retire while he goes out on top. I think a lot of people like he he went to a lot of Super Bowls and and there was a lot of near winning involved and and like right. people people remember those runs and and think very fondly on them. Look, if Denver goes on a run here and they go to the NBA Finals, which is a possibility by the way. If they go to the NBA Finals without their second best player because Nikola Jokic is just that good, that that's on par with anything that that Elway did. Like like until oh, he if they won did this year, the big are you kidding? One. Of course. Oh, oh, like, it oh, probably yeah. would surpass it, to be honest with you. Because <laughs> the NBA is really difficult. And losing your second best player, if you somehow drag a team to the finals, absolutely. So that's my whole point with Jokic is people – and part of my point in saying this is I just want – it It has that sticker shock, right? Like everybody reads it and like, oh, no, that's slanderous <laughs> or whatever. But like what I'm really trying to say is I want everybody to understand that Denver has – the player that is going to go down as their best player and might never be beaten. And I hate when people used to say that when I was young, like Jordan, nobody will ever be better than Jordan or this, that the odds of Denver getting a player better than Jokic are really low. Like it would take 20 years. This is not a, every 10 years you get hit on the lottery and you get a guy like Jokic is already the MVP and he probably will go down as one of the, at the very moment, you know, maybe a top 20 player of the last 10, 15 years already. So what is that going to say now that he's just now entering his prime, not even at his prime yet? A quick deviation. I just want to let you know that it just came out from Chris Haynes that Damian Lillard's preference for his next coach in Portland is Jason Kidd. 
<laughs> Such that's too bad, man. It's too that bad. like, man, like down bad. Like if if you're going that direction, like that that is like the last time Jason Kidd was a head coach, he was ruining Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like man, that's just a, insane. It's wild, man. The NBA, I I do wonder about this. Like a lot of the players, this is the era of player empowerment, but a lot of players want. I don't know that they're always the best judges of their of their careers. And the Lakers had some of this, by the way, too. Like you know, Drummond was one hundred percent an Anthony Davis pick. He's I'm vouching for this guy. You guys are gonna love him. It's like no, you're not. A terrible <laughs> fetch. What are you talking about? And it was man, such I, a bad fit. Yeah. So I don't know, man. That's that's tough. That's tough. I good, I good for wish, Denver. I I wish the best for Damian Lillard. Uh, if he gets traded to the East because they fall apart, then that's that's on him if he picks. Jason Kidd. So, I will say okay. I, the other name I saw on the list earlier today was Chauncey Billups, and I was sitting here thinking, like, yeah, you got the Nurkic thing, you got the Mellow thing, you get Chauncey, like that's gonna suck. I don't want to have to boo yeah. Chauncey. I don't have to like <laughs> go up against Hill. John. Yeah, yeah like, that would be terrible. that would be painful. Oh gosh, it, everything is just so convoluted with that Portland team. Like with with the the Portland Denver relationship is just a mess. Uh, but, and that would that would make it even worse. But yeah. hey, tell you what, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to do like ten minutes, fifteen minutes on uh, Phoenix and, yeah. and just your just your brief thoughts here and and where Nuggets fans can can start looking at this. We will be right back. We're back. Pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Final segment joined by the great Adam Morris. Uh, I am. I First of all, I want to give credit to the Phoenix Suns for humiliating the Los Angeles Lakers. Like, <laughs> like it was an utter destruction of their like entire moral compass. And and I, I frankly, I just enjoyed every bit of it. Uh, were, were you were you cackling as much on, on, on the couch? Just uh, just watching them completely catch fire. It takes a little bit off of it that, you know, Anthony Davis went down because I do think if he was yeah. fully healthy, like the Lakers probably win the series. It, if he they were healthy the whole season, I think the Lakers certainly win this one. If he they were just healthy, you know, this groin injury never happens. Like it's probably a coin flip series that I could have gone either way. So I feel it takes a little bit of the edge off knowing that it, the injury is really the primary thing. But, you know, screw it. The LeBron, it, it's hilarious to me that Nick Wright actually said that, Jokic can't carry a team with his second best player down. And is anybody surprised? Would anybody be surprised? He said this like before the playoffs, if the Nuggets got bounced in the first round, it's probably even likely. And it's just funny to me that this exact scenario happened to LeBron James and they didn't just go down. They got absolutely <laughs> smacked. That was smacked. not a close two games that when, when Anthony Davis went down, they were both blowouts. And that last game was disguised by a little bit of heroics to make it kind of close, but it actually wasn't close. There was no point in that game where I'm like, Oh, Lakers might win this one. The whole time I was like, well, they might, Make LeBron play the whole fourth, but maybe not. We'll see. Jay Crowder salsa'd on the floor <laughs> on Staples Center. What are we like? It's just, yeah. it, it was awesome. I, I look, I, I don't like that it was decided by injury either, but look, Denver has their own injury issues, and I, I do not have any pity for a team that cannot get through it, given what Denver has had to deal with themselves. So, no, look, no if, if you do, if you're not about it, and if you can't if you can't handle it as the greatest player of all time, uh, then I'm sorry. Like it's it's just like it's just not your year. You want some more juicy irony? Oh hell yeah! We, we've all 
and myself included, was worried that Jokic was going to get the Dirk MVP where he has to come back to accept it in a second round that he's not a part of. And unfortunately, that did not happen. I think Friday night's going to be the night, and it's going to be an awesome thing to witness. It's going to be great. Oh, yeah. But what we are going to get is LeBron James promoting Space Jam during the playoffs, <laughs> of which he is not participating. And that is going to be great because you know that they have a whole marketing campaign around, can LeBron do it with the Lakers? Like, on Space Jam, like, you know, that's what they wanted was to kind of try to tie the synergy of LeBron chasing a championship with going up against the Monstars. The Brooklyn Nets are the Monstars and LeBron James is the hero. And now he's going to have to be doing that from the couch and it's going to be pretty funny. I'm sure they were diagramming that press tour and, and just just getting excited to do those spots. And maybe he's, he's dropping Space Jam references and postgame pressers where they win. Uh, so that's just not going to happen. It's, it's going to be great. But uh Let's turn our attention to the Suns, uh, like as, as much as I would love to just humiliate the Lakers even more. Uh, outside of Devin Booker dropping 47 points and just being overall like dope, like he, he has really changed my opinion on him. Uh, what stands out most on the Suns in, in kind of your initial watch on that team and what they what they do really well? Everything. I, I have so much. So the Suns are my side piece team uh, in the West. Yeah. They're my second favorite team. Um, the Atlanta Hawks are my side piece in the East. Uh, those are my two favorites that are not Nuggets. And what do they do well? Every, I mean, honestly, everything. They rotate incredibly well defensively. Like they're on a string. They have just great chemistry on that end of the court. And they have good players. Like they have a couple really good defensive players, but they just have guys that all – I'm one of my biggest things that I think that every analyst gets wrong is that defense is even less about one player than offense is. Nobody looks at it and says, one player, it doesn't matter who you give them, they're going to, you know, like you still need guys that know what they're doing, right? You still have to have competent players. Defense is the exact same way. You can have an elite rim protector or on-ball defender, and it actually will translate 0% unless you have yeah. other guys in a scheme that can, you know, sort of fit together. Phoenix is a team that has a scheme that I think fits really well together and, and guys that are able to execute it. And on the offensive end, they're somewhat similar to Portland in that they have a dynamic backcourt, you know, a different type of dynamic, but really, really good. The difference is when they kick the ball out, they are elite. In game one, Portland was elite at moving the ball and finding the open man, but they're not that team. They just had a good game at that. And Denver, I think their defensive scheme kind of lent itself to that. I agree. Phoenix is. Phoenix is really good at like, if you are a scrambled defense, they are going to make you pay by finding the open shot. Utah's a lot like that too. Absolutely. And, and I think that that Utah has really perfected that scheme and and it was shown last year uh against the Nuggets that e- like even Denver that was they were scoring extremely well in that series but captained by just an unbelievable performance that Denver couldn't get any stops either. Like they were yeah, yeah. they were struggling when when that team was moving the ball at their best and making those rotations and putting the Nuggets like one, two or three steps behind. Uh, the the Suns are going to be like that too. I, I'm not sure whether they're going to be better at it than Utah was. Uh, I I think it's it's at least possible that they aren't as good at it. But I I think that there's there's also just a possibility that given their defensive uh, intensity, uh, their ability to match up just position for position for most teams, uh, and their ability to make and move the right like move the ball in the correct way and then when you you can fall back on Devin Booker kind of like the the Jazz can right. fall back on Donovan Mitchell it's going to be a fun series and i think that Denver's going to they're going to have their work cut out for them even more so than against the Blazers well that's because Phoenix is an actual good team like Portland's defense was so bad and really 
like the Utah Jazz last year, I this is weird to say because Lillard, I think, had to do what he did. But becoming too reliant on one player is a bad thing, especially in the playoffs, especially in this day and era, and especially against the Nuggets. Yeah. And I think Utah, once that well, it didn't even go dry, but just once it went a little dry, like they didn't have another option. Mitchell clearly didn't trust the rest of the guys in the court. The other guys like knew Mitchell didn't trust them and this or that. And I think the same was somewhat true of Portland, where it's like, Lillard, save us. And he tried, and he just couldn't do it alone. But I think Phoenix is maybe a little bit more prepared to not fall into those types of traps. So Devin Booker, he he can't punish you if you know late shot clock this or that. But I don't know that they're going to be like clearing out for him to run ISOs this entire series or anything like that. There's a difference between going to uh, CJ McCollum or going to Mike Conley or Joe Ingles and and going to Chris Paul in in right. the pick and roll and and right. having somebody who is a an all time great player who is going to make the right decision ninety nine percent of the time. Uh, I also think that just the DeAndre Ayton versus Yusuf Nurkic thing, like I think that DeAndre Ayton is a vastly superior player and, and what he has done just as, as making these progressions as the season has gone along. Like I, he just, he just looks like a completely different player than where he was at the beginning of the year. He's really good. He presents, I think the way I would put it is more, he presents different challenges. The one thing that he does, he's not going to do, I don't think, and it's a great thing for Jokic is he's not going to wear him out as much. Nurkic was just, I think Jokic was participating in like Greco Roman wrestling and basketball at the same time. Like it's just so physically taxing because you have a big guy just leaning on you and screening and everything. And like, it was exhausting. And I don't think that Aiton is exhausting to play against. He gets up and down the court, but in the half court, like Jokic is going to be able to like, have the strength advantage. There's very few guys Jokic doesn't have a strength advantage on, and I think Nurkic is one of them, but he's going to have the strength advantage on Aiton, and I just think that'll save his legs a little bit. Defensively, it certainly will be a little bit tougher to cover. I'm curious to see how he does if you know, if Aiton gets comfortable with some of those little mid-range shots and floater zone shots, which he's very good at. If, I'm, I'm curious to see how he does early in that. Um, but I, I don't know, man. Like um, Jokic not being exhausted will be a good thing. And lastly... I know people have been showing some of the numbers through the regular season. I, Aiton's numbers, I think, can be good. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he has a great series personally. But as far as like guard, like, oh, he guarded him well. Jokic was 11 of 41 against him. Like, guys, throw that out the window, man. Like, that's regular yeah. season. We're yeah. just running our base offense and this or that. Like, Jokic is going to be throwing things at Aiton that he is not seen Jokic do yet. Um, it's not going to just be throw the ball into the post and see what happens. Like Jokic will be running off screens. He's going to be running pick and rolls a point guard. He's just, they're going to find something that Aiton doesn't like to do. And then they're going to just pick at it. He's also just a, a objectively better offensive player than Anthony Davis. And, and just the, the versatility to be able to make those decisions uh, in a split second and, and yeah. then press that advantage wherever DeAndre Ayton is lacking. That is going to be something that he just hasn't seen before, ever before. Uh, it's it's going to be an interesting full circle moment for him because when he came into the league, it was Jokic who dropped that perfect triple double on his head in his rookie year. Uh, so I, I'm I'm curious to see how bad the blood is from that, and whether Ayton can dig deep and and find a new gear against a guy like Jokic. Uh, I don't expect it. I expect Jokic to be the MVP because that's who he is. Uh, but it's, it's going to be fascinating. Uh, quick, Michael Porter defended by Mikhail Bridges. What's, what's your initial take on Mikhail Bridges as kind of an off-ball defender versus what he mostly does is as, a, as an on-ball guard stopper? 
if I were them, I would probably put Crowder on him because I think the thing that or, – or just a bigger body. And the reason is because I think the thing that Michael Porter struggles with the most is just physicality. And Mikael yeah. Bridges, as good as he is, is more of a, like a technical defender. But does Michael Porter use moves? Not really. Like no. Michael Porter catches the ball and goes. <laughs> he either goes to the basket or he just goes into a shooting motion. And I think the one thing that keeps him from doing that is physicality. So – Mikael Bridges, maybe he can alter his game to do that, but I, I would throw a lot of different bodies at him and I would just try to rough him up because that's what Port that's what Norman Powell did. Like maybe Mikael Bridges has that in him. I don't think so, but I didn't think Norman Powell did either. But Norman Powell really got physical and got into him and got intense. And I think that bothered Porter to uh, enough of a degree that he wasn't the factor we all thought he we he needed to be for the Denver to win. Um but I don't know. I Porter, it's also a lot about his own personal growth, man. Just mentally. Mm-hmm. I wonder what his his mentality was so clearly different in game five than it was in game four. And that was the difference. And I wonder what his mentality is from the jump in this series. The leap that Murray made in 2019 from the Spurs series to the Blazers series, I think was tangible. Once he kind of got over that initial hurdle of, of, of being the focal point and, and going through those those ups and downs as, as somebody who was the, the major focus of the opposing team, uh, he became better against the Blazers team, despite the like he had to go up against Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. And, and they they exposed a big weakness of his in post-defense against Rodney Hood. But those are the, the growing moments. Those are the like, – I think that is going to be a really big thing against the Suns team that – Michael Porter's already learned that he has to be better with his hands, with his footwork, with his strength uh, from the, Those from the Blazers series. Those things won't come, series. Those things won't no, come. No, 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 no. Really like, just the mentality of, okay, I'm not going to be able to get the comfortable things, but can I? am I confident enough to go into my shot? Because let's be honest, game five, what's he go, 10 of 13? Six yeah. of those were bad shots. <laughs> you know, like, you're just <laughs> like, whatever. Unbelievable. But, <laughs> But he makes them, you know, that he's a good bad shot maker. So, uh, and Denver needs that from him. So, um, and that's maybe a little bit of the difference between him and Michael Porter in this regard is I think that Murray is like, he had to think the game less than Michael Porter because he just, the game came a little bit more naturally to him on a, on a like mental level. Whereas I think mm-hmm. part of what's tough with Porter and why I think that this will be an exponential curve that not, not necessarily going to come this year, but will come in the coming years is that. He's thinking the game less than he was a year ago, but more than, say, Murray was his first playoff series. Like, Murray was already beyond this in terms of, like, I just feel the game. And Porter can't play on pure feel yet. And and that's the that's one of the things holding him back. Now that the Nuggets are here, uh, is it is it a situation where – and, and you, you and I talked about this a little bit briefly before the pod, but is this is this found money for you? Or is this a situation where now they are here – that they want to continue to see them push the envelope as much as possible. And it would be a little bit disappointing that if they if they got into a series where it's tied 2-2 or something, where they, they wouldn't pull it out at that point. Um, I think that it's not binary for me. Like, in sports, I don't think should ever be this binary. Like, a lot of people say, like, it's about championships or nothing or this or that. Like, it's right. always you want to pursue those things. And for me, I look at it two ways. One is, yes, Denver has beaten expectation. They're going to be underdogs in this series, you know, com- coming in. I don't, I don't know if the lines have come out yet, but I'm sure they're going to be underdogs. And I think they're five and a half point underdogs in game one. So a little bit that's like, yeah, what, what can you possibly expect? But the same, the other side of that token is, can Denver win? Yes. And not just can they, but the the only team in the West that really I look at and I think full strength Denver, I don't know if they have it, is the Lakers because they have size and they have not just size, but skilled size. The Lakers are gone. So now I look at it and I think, 
can they beat the Clippers? Yes. Can they beat Dallas? Yes. Can they beat Utah? Tough because favors I do feel like was a move they specifically got to try to get them. But you know what? <laughs> there's a there's a better chance of them beating them than a fully healthy Lakers team. So I look at it and I go, Denver, as much as they are underdogs and will be and against pretty much all those teams, safe from maybe Dallas, but even then maybe. Um you know what? They're not that far of underdogs that you could punt on it. So would it be a failure if they don't go further? In my opinion, no, but they do have an opportunity and op- it might be the best opportunity they ever get. You just never know. And so in that regard, you're like, Hey, take advantage of it if you can. And I think they know that. I wrote an article today and, and everybody that's listening, if you, if you haven't checked it out, denverstuffs.com. Uh, but I wrote an article today about how the Nuggets didn't really need to prove anything heading into these playoffs, but they did it anyway uh, with that series win. They they continued to prove who they are, uh, despite the fact that they had a built-in excuse. They they had all of the reasons where they could have folded, and and nobody would have been the wiser. Nobody would have blamed them for, hey, you're without Jamal Murray. Oh, you're also without Will Barton and PJ Dozier. It's fine. Like you're you're you guys are good. You made a deep bubble run last year. We'll see you next year, and hopefully you're back at full strength. Um, yeah. It's it's different, and and this team is just built different, and and that phrase is is thrown around a lot, but I genuinely think it's true that the resilience that this team has shown is unlike anything that we've seen in the NBA, and and that is something that if if nothing else for Nuggets fans, that is something they can hold their hat on. That this team is just tougher than anybody else. I honestly think that if you look at the teams that are left, this is not to take away from any of them. But I do think Denver has a mental edge over every single team, just like they are the tougher team of, of, of no matter who they would have to go up against. Um, and that includes the Eastern Conference. You know, um, wow. they're they're really I mean, I'm serious. I mean, you look at it like Milwaukee, nothing against them, but they still have yet to prove that they can overcome what Denver has overcome. Brooklyn, sure. also same thing. Like, I don't know. They haven't been tested. In fact, I can't wait for them to be tested because I do think a lot of their character will be revealed. And then, you know, Philadelphia, we'll find out. But I don't think so. Atlanta, definitely not. So. I don't know. Denver does have a certain amount of toughness and togetherness. And it's like Austin Rivers said, it's not that he's been on bad teams, you know, bad cultures before, but just Denver, he's never seen anything like it. It's different. And I think that's a really special thing. I love it. It's, it's been, Adam, it's been a pleasure talking to you for, for this last hour. And I think doesn't even that, feel like we're podcasting, man. We're just talking. Yeah. It's been great. And, and uh, we need to do this again. Uh, maybe, maybe at some point if, if, Hey, if, if they go far, if, if they if they get of course, into let's another, do it every round. We'll commit we'll to it. every every we'll, round. We're doing it. Yeah, I'll, we'll bounce around between platforms. It'll be great. Uh, but for everybody else, hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Pickaxe and Roll. Shout out to Adam. Shout out to the DMVR crew, and and go visit the DMVR bar for game one because Hell it yeah. is popping over there. So make sure to check them out Monday night, baby. Um, <laughs> Monday night at the bar late. Th- thank you to DraftKings Sportsbook for for presenting this episode. And I guess we're we're just gonna we're gonna play this by ear, man. I'm I'm not sure what the the ultimate podcast schedule is gonna look like. But I am I'm just looking forward to seeing if I could get a Phoenix Suns writer on and, and we can just break down the series and go deep on it. Should be a lot of fun. Thank you so much, everybody. We'll talk to you guys very soon.